0: You are listening to Vueltas y Revueltas, the cycling podcast at the Vuelta España, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Stage 18. Today we are in Gamoniteiro.
1: Mateo, just one word, please, or your first thoughts when you see the final profile today of that final climb. What, what do you think of it? WTF. <laughs> <laughs> a bit too much. Well, it's going to be a, a
2: tough day because it's not only the last climb profile, it's all the climb profile today. But it's a Grand Tour, so it's, it's logic and rightly to have some stages like this. Some, not every day, but at the end it, it's been like riders
1: making races so hard in this Vuelta. We could take it even more easy maybe. And how does it compare to Zoncolan, Angliru, Mo- uh, Mortirolo on paper? Even harder. i never done
2: both Zoncolan and Mortirolo. And as long as I can avoid them, the better. Uh, on paper, it looks different than, uh, than Angliru. Because Angliru is super steeper, it's shorter. This is 14k long and it doesn't give you a single bit of rest. Good luck. Good, thank you.
3: Look how much it gets. What do you know about the climb to the finish today
2: i just know it's very steep and very long so it's about 10 percent average with 15 k so uh it's gonna be a long climb for group Eto.
3: can you enjoy climbs like that i mean it's uh you know it's, it's a beautiful place the weather might not be great today but Even being in the Grippetto and and surviving stages stage like this, can you you enjoy them at all?
2: No, no, I cannot say we can enjoy it, especially last climb, because it's before we do 3,000 altitude metres and then we have 1,500 altitude metres left. So you definitely cannot enjoy it and uh, it's
1: probably going to rain. Fabio, just one word please to describe, or, or a couple of words to describe this climb at the end of today's stage and how
4: you feel about it. Uh, it looks uh, horrible. We couldn't even see it on uh, Google Maps. We only saw it as a concrete road and usually if it's a concrete road in Spain with like the the ripples in it, then it's steep and hard and... Only the Vuelta passes there, I think.
1: And last thing, I want you to take this seriously now. How much would you pay not to have to ride
4: that climb today? Give me a figure. No, I, no, I wouldn't pay. I, I, want to fi- I want to ride it. I want to finish it in time. Uh, I think it's part of the Vuelta. And uh, I don't look forward to it. But for sure, in a couple of weeks, I'll look back and think, oh, El Gamuni uh, it's a hard F-word, f- f- <laughs> but uh, no, I-, I wouldn't pay to skip it. But uh, yeah, we just have to get over and it- it's going to be hard.
1: Daniel, what's that chun playing in the background, first of all? Well, that's the official song of the Vuelta a But Rich, we heard there from Fabio Jakobsen refusing money, or hypothetical money, <laughs> to avoid riding today's stage. It's not your was favorite question, isn't it? It is one of my favorite questions. That was this morning. Um, we're standing at the finish line, 25 meters from the finish line, and we're watching various fragments of groupetta, the, the Gruppetta, or Gruppetti, um, come in. No sign of Jakobsen yet, and there is some sort of anxiety. is mounting about where Jakobsen is. Is he going to make it inside the time limit? He only just made it yesterday
3: um, today uh, arguably a tougher stage. We're standing right on the finish line here. It's a, in the mist, in the mist. It's a very surreal kind of scene, isn't it? Um, we drove up the climb today. First time up here for the Vuelta. It's uh, the, the, the Anglerou's ugly sister or something. What did you make of it?
1: The slightly more benign sister we might hear more about this later because well i didn't feel that it was as hard as the anglia or other extreme climbs that i've been up um, either by bike or in the car before the zon and and so forth and we heard similar things from some of the riders that conquered this beast today here's another group emerging through the mist daniel can you see fabi jacobsen in there now, I'm seeing here a can spot. Tom Scully is the first person I can spot. Damien Howson, Cece Benedetti, um, Luca Mezgac, still no Jakobsen. We heard from Luca Mezgac
3: just briefly at the start, didn't we? And Matteo Trentin talking about this uh, climb. What's interesting is a few uh, of quickset riders have been through. So they haven't done what they did with Mark Cavendish at the tour and put virtually the whole team around him, have they, today? And uh, well, we saw. Um, Tom Pidcock pushing James Knox over the line. Actually, it was the other round. James Knox pushing Tom Pidcock over the line and then
1: taking turns at pushing each other up this. It gets steeper beyond the line, which is tricky. Richard, it feels like a bit of an, an omission not to have mentioned who won the stage at this point or not to have gone to Not Watford to find out from Lionel Burnie. What we'll go to Not Watford in a moment, that. but we will go to Not Watford in a moment, but it's. Uh,
3: it, I was remembering that Mikel Angel Lopez Superman won at the Caudillois last year didn't he at the Tour de France super super steep climb and that was uh, in the, this was in the same uh, category I suppose and so he did what he sometimes does very well and he took off cape flying in the wind uh, on the steep sections of the climb won the stage over to Lionel
5: after the Covadonga ding-dong, it was a relatively subdued 18th stage to El Teru. Yesterday, heroics meant Primus Roglic didn't need to do too much other than mark those riders immediately behind him on GC, which he did until the final few hundred metres when he Roglified his opponents and added a few more seconds to his advantage. And so the day was mostly about the battle for the stage victory, and at the end there was relief for Movistar. It was another battle royale to get into the early break and eventually a group of 32 riders got away. 22 of the 23 teams in the race were represented. The only ones not to put a rider up the road were Bahrain Victorious. He did a lot of the riding on the front of the peloton to keep the gap manageable. Among the big names in the break were former welter winner Fabio Aru, Rain Tarame, who led in the first week, Raphael Micah, who won a stage at the weekend and Michael Storer of Team DSM who was hunting for his third stage winner of this welter. Stora took off alone 108 kilometers from the finish and crossed the summit of three climbs in first place, taking the lead in the King of the Mountains competition from his teammate Roman Bardet. As the rest of the break got swallowed up one by one or two by two, Bardet launched a counter move on the penultimate climb to take three mountain points and to suggest that perhaps Stora taking the blue spotty jersey wasn't part of the team briefing plan this morning. On the final climb, Geoffrey Bouchard and David de la Cruz set off in pursuit of Stora. De la Cruz did catch and pass him, but then it was down to Superman. The Colombian Miguel Ángel López secured a much-needed stage win for the number one Spanish team with a well-timed attack around four kilometres from the finish line. Spain still waiting for their first stage win of this welter. And it did look for a while like David De La Cruz would end the host nation's wait for victory. But when Superman unfurled his cape and took flight, he caught De La Cruz inside three kilometres to go and then went past him to take the stage. Superman had a big S on his chest, of course. The Superman from Movistar has a big M on his chest. And although they have two riders currently holding podium positions, they must be very relieved to actually get a stage win. Because they've gone through the whole of the Giro and the Tour and more than three quarters of this welter without so much as a stage win. And they were on course to draw a blank in the Grand Tours for the first time since 1996 when they were sponsored by Benesto. So success for Lopez... And as the GC group came into the finish, the gap started to open up. And of course, it was Roglic who clipped away to take second place, gaining six seconds on Enrique Mas and taking another six in time bonuses. Mas was third with Bernal just behind. And then came the Jack Haig group, 44 seconds after Roglic and Adam Yates was another nine seconds behind them. Another bit of business is that there were two non-starters today, Carlos Verona of Movistar and Dylan Bambala of Ineos didn't take the start. And two non-finishers, Lastra and Rubio of the Spanish wildcard teams, Caja Rural and Burgos BH, who featured in several breaks during the race. And there was one rider who didn't make it inside the time cut. That was Matt Holmes, the British rider with Lotto Soudal. Overall, Roglic now leads Mass by 2 minute 30. Lopez has opened a gap on Haig in the race for the podium, and Guillaume Martin, second a couple of days ago, has slipped from fifth to ninth. Fabio Jakobsen made it home safely, so he just has to survive Saturday's difficult stage and the green jersey will be his. But there is now a fascinating internal battle at Team DSM for the King of the Mountains jersey. Stora leads Bardet by just five points, and there's three climbs in the first half of tomorrow's stage, so there could be quite a fight to get into the break then there's a lot more points on offer on Saturday so the blue spotty jersey is still very much up for grabs.
0: You are listening to Vueltas y Revueltas the cycling podcast at the Vuelta España powered by Super Sapiens energy management for committed athletes and coaches still guessing on fueling not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter never again optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data actionable insights and personalized analytics we're here to help you achieve your performance goals go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success
5: thank you very much to super sapiens our title sponsors we've been running a competition to offer a listener three months access to the SuperSapiens app and a three month supply of the Abbott Sense sensors, which basically give the app a continuous glucose reading. We ran this competition during the Giro as well, and one of the winners, Fiona Bell, has taken delivery of her prize and has been using the SuperSapiens system. Let's find out how she has been using it to help her riding.
6: So I found the the Super Sapiens device really very easy to use. Initially, you know, you read through the instructions and they don't always make a lot of sense, but then there are these great videos that you can watch that will just explain it, and instantly it's really obvious. And you think it's going to be quite painful when you put it on, but honestly, it isn't at all. And it stays stuck, you know, you can go swimming, you can do all sorts of things in it, and it doesn't shift. Within an hour, it ties into your phone. So, I mean, it is absolutely fascinating looking at the data. I mean, it depends how much of a data junkie you are, but it's really interesting to see how the levels go up and down, not only for what you eat, but for um, the things that you do during the day. So hydration was really important. Um, Temperature had an impact. And also, if you had a difficult meeting, if I had a difficult meeting, I, I would notice that my levels would go up. Um, just presumably to do with the stress of the expectation of the meeting. Obviously, you have stresses when you're out on a bike, when you're out running, and they must, they must have an impact. So just, just being able to learn the sort of things that would have an impact was, was fascinating. I mean, I've, I've got loads more to learn, but that, that was a really good start and really helpful.
3: Here's another group, Daniel. Um, it's, don't see Jacobson there at all. Uh, Sergio Hannau is there I don't expect to see him in
1: a group like that Arashiro he's, Arashiro, he's on a big day. nervously up for the stopwatch. The, I think the, the riders who are coming in now are getting very anxious indeed. Arashiro was cl- was working a lot today, wasn't he? Because Bahrain Victorious were the only team that missed the big break that went early in the day and that can't have helped him later on, on this savage climb and the savage rest of the stage indeed. Here, here comes Alberto Dainese. It's really, uh, well, it's, uh, it's a gathering of the sprinters at the back of the race, as we always see on these hard mountain days. Well, Daniel, um, you mentioned
3: Baron Victoria's missed the uh, break today. While we're waiting for Fabio Jakobsen, should we hear from a Baron Victoria's rider, Gino Mader, who's eighth overall? Um, the context of this interview is he was speaking to Kate Wagner, who's part of our team at the Tour de France, of course. She's working on a, a big profile of him, so he's been speaking to her every day. We hear a bit of his conversation with her. And then I ask him about um, whether... About Jack Hague and how he's been as a leader in his team.
7: Yeah, we kind of missed uh, the break. Yeah. And. Yeah, then we had to ride all freaking day long. And I felt so bad. Uh, before the second last climb, I went to Damiano. I asked him, eh, hey, what are you doing? Oh, I'm bad, I'm bad. Why? I think you're the third man for team classification. No, 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 it's not possible. Oh, you have to go, you, you have to. I was like, mate, I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm done. I'm proper on my, on my limit. That's it. No, no, I eat, eat, oh, take my. <laughs> and I was like, I'm sorry. Like whatever you give me, it's not gonna help. It's not gonna help. And uh, I kind of had to pull myself together and yeah, help uh, help Jack as, as good as possible. Which in the end, I mean, we did a good race anyway. And I think we can be, we can be proud of the way we, r- we raced today. And it was a really, really hard day. Um, but I think I can laugh about it in a few weeks. <laughs>
8: You're laughing about it now.
7: Yeah. Uh, but now it's more of a sarcastic laugh, like, just done.
6: (laughs) So the final climb, like, at the end, when you saw them go away.
7: Yeah, uh, the thing is, with a climb like this, when it's always hard and especially once you get into altitude, you really have to manage the effort and, uh, I kind of had to feel the legs of Jack because... Even if I could go with them, which I don't think I could, I still have to support Jack and stay with him. So you kind of have to feel his legs, um, <coughs> which is really not easy. And uh, yeah,
3: no,
8: done.
3: <laughs> You're done. Gino, can I ask a quick, quick question? Um, Jack uh, said he gave a, a little speech yesterday on the bus before the stage. How how impressive has he been as a as a leader here?
7: Yeah, he's really impressive as a leader. I mean his mental strength and like kind of not coming into this race as a leader um, getting better every day and uh, really having I mean obviously he has the support but he kind of has to work for it as well and uh, now he's really impressive and I appreciate um, to work for him as a as a gregario for him it's really um, uh, how you say rewarding to race for him
1: another group a lot of uh, De Quick Quick riders here, here he is. Daniel here is Jacobson in fact, through forward, the Koenig quick-step riders, and one bora hansker rider, Martin Lass, uh, the Estonian. Jakobsen being pushed over the line. I think he's made it, Rich, don't you? Yeah, I should say he's not being pushed over
3: the line, Daniel. He's being put after the line. He's being pushed because uh, he also was looking nervously for a clock, but there doesn't seem to be one. So we're, we're in the dark, but we'll find out in a
1: moment or two. Oh, I can see some commissaires... Uh, uh, in a little booth looking down over the finish line, and they were one of them got, gave a sort of mock sigh of relief on Jakobsen's behalf there. So I think, I'm pretty sure he's made it. And had he not made it, Daniel, who would have been in the green jersey? Primoz Roglic. Correct, Amundo.
3: Well, Daniel, we're back down the mountain now in a fairly uh, rowdy bar on the street, so there'll be a bit of, a bit of background noise. We're um, in the Bar Nuevo. Bar Nuevo, and you know, it's not any not any warmer, is it? It's still pretty chilly, still pretty misty down here.
1: Chilly, chilly, misty. Is that typical, the rock Typical Asturian weather. I think, can I issue a correction from Corrections Corner? We did a video. We're back to vlogging after the stage today, and I think I said we are in the Picos de Europa still, and that's a bit contentious, because I think we're in a small little sierra, which if you go north of Oviedo, basically on your left-hand side is the Picos de Europa, and we're kind of on the right-hand side, and it's the Sierra de Aramo, I think. I did wince as you said
3: uh, that, Daniel. A little
1: postscript to our
3: um, earlier parts up the mountain. There was one rider who we were, didn't know what we were waiting for, but we were, Matt Holmes, um, the Lotto Sudal rider, who unfortunately finished outside the time limit. He was 48 minutes, 54 seconds Behind the winner, that was a good eight minutes behind Jakobsen and his group, so he is out of the race.
1: And we know a little bit about the context and the backdrop to that, because I spoke to Matt Holmes this morning, but we'll hear from him later, won't we?
3: We will. Let's wind back, though, to Salas, the start this morning, a a small... Um, kind of industrially town, which seems with to be built very around a Danone factory. factory.
1: Danone, yeah. Um, I, I have a certain affection for Danone because I, I quite like the Danone adverts on French TV. We go, mm. Danone. <laughs> I think it's not just French TV; they're everywhere.
3: Are they are not they? I don't adverts, know. So? They always
1: remind me of the SNCF announcements that in the in French railway stations. There's a similar kind of jizzle. yes,
3: it's very similar, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, God, maybe they copied it from there. Anyway. Back to the start, Daniel, you did speak to Matt Holmes and uh, you also had a bit of your daily Rog. but the question was, how would uh, the riders who'd been on the attack yesterday, Egan Bernal and Primoz Roglic, recover for today? Because yesterday was a big day. Today was being billed as an even bigger day.
1: Yeah, this question, the question that I asked Rog, was mainly prompted by you droning on every morning about what your sleep score is and what your recovery quotient is or whatever it is. Um... But this has become a, a bigger bigger... The listeners, I haven't actually
3: ever mentioned this once. You've
1: mentioned it this morning? Yeah, this morning is the first time. So and and on every and morning And the previous day. Anyway, this is something that is becoming well, part of riders' kind of biofeedback preparation. Um, self not just riders, Daniel. Well, self-knowledge. Yeah, also choppers. Weekend <laughs> choppers. Um, but it, it occurs to me that Primoz Roglic probably does have a recovery sleep monitor. And he probably did you know, look quite curiously at his readout this morning. Anyway, without further ado. much, we all have devices and things now that tell us how we recovered, how we slept. Do you look at them? Do you believe them? And um, how did you sleep and how do
8: you think you've recovered? I don't have it, uh, so, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was fine, uh, you know what I mean? It's, uh, it's, it's all good. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we see how good compared to the others today. Uh.
1: <laughs> do you believe him, Rich? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I do, I think. But he ha- I'm he not sure. have um, one. Perhaps there are people around Roglic who pay more attention to that than Roglic himself. I spoke to someone from a team the other day who said that at times the coaches on this particular team are getting a little bit frustrated with their riders, getting psyched out and spooked too by, much. by their too much poor recovery scores. Oh, yeah, well, that...
3: Because it's, it's, it's a huge morale boost if it's, if it's high, but it's, conversely, uh, it can... Uh, it can uh, drain the spirit if it's low. Uh, you, you do become quite uh, fixated on it and, it, and it. and that, I guess, if you're a rider at the Tour, um, especially if you've crashed or if you're a bit ill, you'll be looking at that for clues as to whether your body is recovering or not. And it could, it could psych you out, yeah.
1: Rich, I bet the Jumbo Visma Direct Sportives were very anxious to know how Primoz Roglic had recovered this morning after his exploits yesterday. And, well, I spoke to one of them this morning, Adi Engels, about that attack, which was still the talk of the welter this morning. And I said yesterday it was Primoz Roglic's masterpiece as a Grand Tour stage racer. We also said yesterday that I was watching through the cracks in my fingers. I thought it was a bad move at the time. What did Ag- Adi Engels think Yesterday, as that drama was unfolding, well, Adi, when Primos went away yesterday with Egan, did you have your head in your hands? Were you wondering what on earth he was he was thinking?
4: No, not no, 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 not like that. I mean, at that moment, I think it was it was a really good move. the The climb was hard; everybody had to push, and uh, of course, also the descent we knew was very demanding. So it was that was anyway good to to be up there, to be in front, and. Uh, of course, you start to think yeah, it's really far to go. Uh, was, there was still some support behind, for, uh, especially Bahrain, who had some guys uh, still up there. But yeah, at that moment, we had the thought, OK, we, we're going to see how the descent is going. And, and after the descent, when, we really, when you really start to need pulling, uh, then to see how the situation is and, and to decide whether it's wise to continue or not. Ineos had tried to put Van Baaler in the move early. How important was it that he wasn't up the road when that move was made? <laughs> yeah, we closed that down. Uh, in, in the end, it would have been nice if, uh, if Dylan would have been in front to support uh, Egan, of course. But but then, if we didn't uh, pull back that group, also, uh, I think Oliveira was in the group of Morfistar, uh Bahrain was up there, so the. the, the If that group was still in front, that that, uh, also behind us, they would have have had some more options to have guys wait and and to pull more. So in the end, uh, it was again uh, balanced, I think. And when Primoz is making a move like that, is
1: any part of you worrying about today and thinking that, okay, it's great to take a minute, but it's a huge stage today?
4: No, not really, actually. I mean, I think yesterday, everybody had to push real hard and I think everybody suffered a lot and, and the part Primoz and Egan really had to pull was yeah, of course they, they spent a bit more in the part from the, the end of the descent to the start of Covadonga but that was also not that long and uh, and also they of, of course they pushed but they, they they held some reserve as well they also lost some time in that part of course um, but then in the end I think yeah, if you look also to the to the last climb yesterday uh, if, if they would have been a lot more fresh they would have come closer as well and I think in the end everybody suffered more or less equally and I think of, of course it will have effect on today but I think the effect will be for everyone
3: So that was Heidi Engels at, at the start today um, it was a stage where a big breakaway went clear every team represented apart from Byron Victorious. we heard a quite entertaining interview a bit earlier from Gino Mader, um because I, when I heard that Barry and Victorious weren't in it, uh, I assumed that that was a deliberate ploy in a way that they had something else planned, but clearly not, according to Gina Mader's, um account of, of what went on. Um, but I, I, another little postscript to yesterday, actually. We got our audio diarists' uh, submissions last night, and you'll hear them at some point, but Pavel Sivikov talked a lot about having Dino uh, Dylan Van Barle who didn't start today which Adi, actually which Addy Engels mentioned there he? yeah and uh, you know how him being up the road was was part of the the plan yes, it didn't quite come off so when Bayern Victorious didn't have a man in the break I I thought that there were some kind of alternative plan maybe to set up Jack Haig for a bit later on um, but actually they were they were chasing the race really um, rather than uh, executing some master plan and um it was a stage where we thought after yesterday in particular, the break might stand a good chance of going clear. And when Michael Storer had two minutes, we thought he was on for stage win number three. That didn't happen. And it did end up as a GC day, didn't it? And the, the, the strongest riders in the race did end
1: up fighting out on the on the steep slopes. Yes. This morning, I thought that it, the break might go a little bit more easily, a little bit earlier in the stage today, because I think everyone is so tired. Um you yeah, know we say this towards the end of every grand tour but i think that's particularly the case at the vuelta more than the other three grand tours because you get a lot of inexperienced guys here and of course it's the end of a long season as well but it it became pretty clear and we well certainly as they approached the final climb michael storer was still ahead to two minutes ahead the cycling Pele walks on water doesn't he Michael Storer I thought he was going to get his Michael Storer I thought he was going to get his third stage win well, at some point in this welter. but as the, the peloton was closing in led by Bahrain Victorious and also David de la Cruz um, took it upon himself to hunt down Michael Storer then it became clear it was going to be all about the GC men and well Movistar Needed to gain time, Um, Superman Lopez needed to gain time because he had Jack Haig breathing down his neck with the time trial, which we're we're not sure whether that's going to be the only day after today when time will be won and lost, but um, that's certainly a possibility. And he didn't have enough of a cushion, did he, over Jack Haig. In fact, the time gap was 35 seconds between Superman and Jack Haig. And we expect Jack Haig to to beat Superman by more than more than 35 seconds, don't we? Over 33.8 kilometres uh, mm. on Sunday. So they needed to gain time. They needed to do something.
3: Yeah, and I guess this was really the, the last chance or the last stage that really, really suited uh, those guys, Lopez and Mass. And um, Lopez went away. He jumped up to David de la Cruz, who I heard this morning may, may be going to EF, not to Movistar after all. That's uh, the latest rumour. But... Um, strong ride from Dela Cruz today and uh, Superman bridged up to him attacked him quite hard held on to win the stage uh, and has has done himself uh, a, a bit of a favor there in terms of trying to finish on the podium, and Movistar will be pretty happy, won't they? They are, as you pointed out, though Daniel, they lost Carlos Verona today as well, so they are down to the bare bones of the team. I think it's only I think it's only Mass and Lopez left, isn't it? Yeah, but pretty again, much. like I said, the Raviti other d- is, is still there.
1: Yeah, and no, Rojas is still there. But as I said the other day, Rich, in a way, it's sort of simplified their task and losing Verona, simplified it even further. It's taken away all of their options. All they can do, all they've been able to do is really follow the best climbers, the best team. It's also, you know, sometimes it can be a a disadvantage to have a very strong team because then it becomes a game of poker. With other teams, they don't want to work for you or do anything that might benefit you. And that's not been the case. Teams have been fairly willing to take things on. I mean, it, it was maybe obvious that Bahrain and Victoria's had to do it today because they'd missed the break, but um, no one's really been looking at Movistar to, to to take the race on.
3: Though Saturday could be a difficult day on, on, for a, a team that's down to, to bare bones because it's not a, a day like today where the strongest will emerge at the front. It's, a, it's an up and down, it's a tough stage that could slip out of a team's control
1: quite easily, potentially. Yeah, definitely. Multiple climbs, hard descents, potentially bad weather. And Bahrain, with a lot of firepower, a lot of power in numbers, um, different cars that they can play. I mean, notably Gino Mader still in the, in the top 10 overall. So he's someone who, if he goes down the road, becomes dangerous. Uh, yeah, indeed, indeed. Uh, you spoke to his team
3: captain, a, a rider who he says has been a very good leader. Um, and who, whatever happens, I think
1: will come out of this welter with his reputation enhanced. Jack Haig. Well, he, Jack Haig, in turn, says that Gino Maida has been an outstanding domestique. But Haig, I mean, on the face of it, he's the, he was the loser today because he did concede very significant ground to Superman Lopez. In fact, I mentioned the. GC at the start of the day, well, by the end of the day, um, Jack Haig was over a minute and a half, well over a minute and a half, adrift of Superman, all of which he conceded in the last, well, after Superman attacked, all in the last three or four kilometers of that final climb. But Haig was relatively philosophical at the finish when we spoke to him.
7: The guys rode
2: super well today, and uh, Gino, I can't say enough good things about he was super good today, and uh, yeah, this climb's not really my forte. I think if you look at the most of the guys in front of me. They're probably 5 or 10 kilos lighter than me and uh, these super steep climbs suit them much more. Same as the other day, I just know my tempo that I can ride at and uh, just I knew if I ride at that, then I would limit my losses. It's definitely hard now and um, yeah, these two days definitely aren't straightforward coming up, especially stage 20. So I think we can still see a lot happen. At the end, I gave my best and you can't be disappointed. Like
1: I couldn't have done anything else. So that's it. If your strength was a foam battery, what percentage would it be on now? Is, it, is the tiredness really kicking in? Um, it's not too bad, to be honest,
2: but uh, I think definitely we'll feel it tomorrow morning. These two days have been incredibly hard, so we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. I hope everyone else is pretty tired as well. You can't be unhappy when you do your best, and I have nothing else, so I'm just happy that the team did an amazing job. I did the best I could, and yeah, I can't be unhappy with it.
3: That was Jack Haig, and you also spoke to Primoz
1: Roglic at the summit, Daniel. Yeah, Primoz Roglic, who well looked in full control today, didn't he? At one stage, it almost looked as though, even looked as though Superman could be Roglified. I had serious fears for him as Egan Bernal, who was also on a really good day. And, you know, as you said the other day, Rich, um, and I think I mentioned this on the podcast before, in Italian cycling, there's this kind of obsession with how riders look in their face. You know, he's got a nice face today. He's got a good face today. Looks fresh-faced. And I've noticed that with Bernal the last couple of days. I mean, even after the finish today, he looked very fresh. Anyway, he was attacking... It helps that they're not wearing the sunglasses. On a
3: climb like today, it was very interesting. There was a moment, Sepp Kuss was on the front, and none none of them were wearing the sunglasses. Superman had his sunglasses on all the way up, but the others didn't. And
1: you can see so much more in their faces Mm. when they're not wearing the sunglasses. And as Bernal and... ROG were, were trading blows as they came in. Mass was sitting on. I did fear that Superman was going to get ROGlified. However, he wasn't, but... He Just was, a word on Bernal. Can I, before we hear yes. from ROG? I mean, he
3: is riding like a man who's not He's not riding defensively. He didn't yesterday, he didn't today. And it's so refreshing to see that. He is taking it on. He's riding without without seemingly caring whether he, he pays for the effort. And, you know, Mass is riding very well. But he's running a different kind of race to Bernal, isn't he? And
1: yeah, I mean, Bernal has got a palmares which dictates that yeah. he really has nothing to gain from finishing fifth or fourth or even winning the white jersey, does he? It's not it's not a particularly big feather in his cap. Uh, what would be a feather in his cap? Well, we talked about yesterday how he'd already left his mark on this uh, Vuelta with his performance. But... A a big mountain stage win would have been, would have really enriched his Palmares further. It wasn't to be today. And as I said, Mass was able to sit on, but Roglic and Bernal kept attacking each other. And Rog, well, he looked strong again, Um, he looked in full control, and he sounded rich. As though, at the finish, after the finish, as though he... he a bundle could, of nerves, full no, of anxiety as he and could, fear. He was starting to see the outline of the western facade of Santiago de Compostela's famous cathedral on the horizon.
8: It felt like a queen stage, huh? it was It was hard. I was, yeah, I also, I think, felt a little effort from yesterday. And, uh, yeah, it uh, was really, really hard from already, like, the first climb. Uh, and, uh, yeah, all the way... Uh, to, to this steep finish it's definitely nice uh, to 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 have it uh, uh, the way it is uh, but uh, yeah on the other hand still uh, some days to come and uh, always uh, it's uh, uh, also from my experiences uh, it's not finished still it's really not finished you, we all know uh racing it's yeah it's always uh, some some stupid things uh, can happen so yeah we need uh, to 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 stay safe, uh, to survive and uh, yeah, just do our best.
0: Science in Sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the Vuelta a España. Science in Sport, fueled by science.
3: Thanks very much indeed to Science in Sport, our sponsor here at the Cycling Podcast. If you would like 25% off all your Science in Sport products, Go to scienceandsport.com and at the checkout enter the discount code SISCP twenty-five. That's SISCP twenty-five.
2: El caminatorio lo conocíamos desde hace ya bastante tiempo, ¿no? Sobre todo lo conocía Javier Guillén, el director general. Y el problema que tenemos ahí un poquito el espacio, ¿no? Se valoró otros años.
3: Well, Daniel, that was the noise uh, from the car as we drove up the climb today. Uh, before that, who was that we heard from?
1: It was Rich, Fernando Escartin, our old mate. Remember him?
3: I do. I remember meeting a banana in Galicia a couple of years ago. Uh, a green, but quite a green banana. He was a, a notoriously unstylish bike rider himself, wasn't he? It didn't look great on a bike. Sort of Old crabby, Fernando. but
1: very effective. Crabby. He's now the uh, he's now in charge of the route here yeah, at the Vuelta. Yeah, and um, very good climber in his day. Obviously knows knows the mountains of Spain very well. He was explaining to me this morning well, the process that led to the Gamonitero finally being included in the Vuelta. This was the first time the race had gone up there. It's a climb that he, the Vuelta organisation, Javier Guillén, the race director, have known about for some time. And they started sort of studying the, the, the possibility of taking the to there about three years ago, looking at it seriously. They had to do a bit of work in order to get it ready. And finally, that was done, or that's been done in the last few months, particularly the last three or four kilometers had to be widened slightly so that team cars could get up there. And only just. I mean, yes. it was narrow, wasn't it? Yeah, and, and we heard this morning that there, was, there was a lot of trepidation among the riders about this climb, we'd seen the profile in the road book, it looked horrific we compared it yesterday, we talked about how it measured up to the Don Colan the Mortirolo, the Angliru and when we drove up, what did you think? Well, what I thought was that,
3: one thing that one thought that kept um, uh, uh, coming to me was that a lot of our listeners write in and ask for advice about going to watch a Grand Tour and one piece of advice I would offer to all of them is, don't try and ride up the climbs, the major climbs, on the day that the race goes there, because it doesn't look like a fun experience at all. There are so many do vehicles... Do it early. You can do it early. Yeah, there are so many vehicles that go ahead of the race that it, it's just unpleasant, and it's dangerous, and it's not nice, and you can see a lot of riders trying to go for their Strava times, etc., and it doesn't work, so if you're going to go and watch the Grand Tour, go and ride the climbs on other days, don't ride the climb on the day that the race goes there. Um, it was it clearly had been resurfaced so it, it was it was a nice road surface and i thought watching it 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 didn't look as much of a challenge as i thought it would be when no. we were driving up which is i was quite kind under- of quite often the case actually. yeah i was
1: quite underwhelmed by the the slope by the percentage there are times when a road book and, and an average grade and indeed even when it's accurate according to you know any measuring measuring device can be a little bit deceptive and I felt that was the case today. yeah I wonder I wonder if it would have been a firm impression be different had there not been that mist, and we'd had the yeah. views I mean that's key isn't it to to a climb's sort of ability to embed itself in the psyche in the consciousness of the of cycling fans the, the visual identity of a climb and you know we went the other day to Lagos de Covadonga. I think one of the reasons why that was such a, a big hit, well, there are multiple reasons, you know, when it debuted, when it premiered in the 80s, there was. It, you know, it's a very important place in Spanish history, Covadonga. We talked about the Reconquista a few days ago, but also, you know, the lakes themselves, they're, they're really beautiful and it's a very evocative name. There are all these different factors, but with the Angliru, um, you know, this, as I've called it, the Siamese twin of the Gamonitero, um, as well as the gradients and the hype around the Angliru, it, it's also both on TV and, and in a different way when you ride up it or drive up it or walk up it, it's it's a really distinctive and incredibly beautiful mountain with amazing views going all the way to well, Oviedo where we're staying tonight. Difficult to judge the Gamonitero in that respect today because, well, it was so misty, wasn't it? Um, it was certainly wild up there. It was wild sort of and
3: craggy and, and very yeah, kind of rocky and there were lots of uh, animals, horses and cows and dogs and, you know, it was, it was a wild place. I do wonder, how
1: many more untested well, claims are there? I asked about that and he said Plenty. He yeah, says. amazing! It's yeah, incredible. and there is this real culture. I've spoken about it before on the podcast. In Spain, the Vuelta organization has always been bombarded with suggestions, and very often these suggestions have led to the inclusion of races of climbs in the race. We we said that had been the case with the Balcon de Alicante earlier in the race, and it will it will continue to happen, particularly when. The Vuelta is is accustomed to having you know eight nine summit finishes, um, which is has been the trend over the last few years. Rich, should we hear what a rider thought of the Gamonitero? Uh a rider who's proven a bit of a hit with us on this Vuelta Espana? The links of Marbella, Luis Angel Mate, who was in the break today.
2: <laughs> Nothing to compare Angliru is more steep, uh, more hard. This is like a uh, Tour de France climb more regular, always the same perc- average percentage and <laughs> normally very beautiful views today with this weather not, we, we can't see but I hope uh, we can return in the world uh, at this claim uh, and at this area because it's nice 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 area.
1: So the road book was deceptive. It it, it was a bit of a lie because um, the road book made it look harder than the Angliru. No, no, not 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 more harder.
2: It's different, you know. This is more regular Angliru. You have more steep hybrids uh, more than 20. Here is more regular. I think it's more beautiful for 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 the cyclists. This this kind of climb.
1: So the links there, Rich, the links of Andalusia of Marbella. I'm not sure how qualified he is. To comment on mountain passes in Asturias, um, <laughs> what would it? What would uh, 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 we, we should really been have been looking for and consulting? I what, don't know what the next? goat or the, the goat- land on the beaches of <laughs> Marbella. Yeah. Um, no, uh,
3: he yeah, he's, he's hidden his light under a bush, hasn't he, old Luis Angomate? He's pretended <laughs> for years that he hasn't spoken English when all the time he's obviously spoken very good English. So
1: it's been great to hear from him on the podcast this year. It has, Rich. And while well, he was in the break today, we expect there to be a break tomorrow, not least because there are so few sprinters left in the race, and there are a few riders, obviously, and, and, and several teams who are absolutely desperate to fire men down the road. One breakaway specialist, well, who's someone who's establishing himself as a breakaway specialist in this Vuelta España, but also over the last couple of years since he debuted as a World Tour rider. Matt Holmes, and um, we talked earlier in the welter, didn't we? About his color coded spreadsheet of stages that he was not wasn't targeting. I thought that today, today we might see him in an early move, so I caught up with him at the start. We already know about the postscript to this interview that he missed the time limit today, and this interview sheds a bit of light on why that happened. Um, well, Matt. Just a word please about this final climb today. What's the
9: first sort of word that comes to your head when you see a profile like that? Um I don't know. To be honest, I'm not really thinking about it because I've got I've got cold now, so I'm just trying to get to the finish. That's all that's all I'm thinking really, just take it as easy as I can and uh, yeah, don't DNF. <laughs> when did that start, Matt? Uh on the, on the rest day really. Started with sore throat so Yeah, it's been not very nice the last couple of days, but hopefully a bit better today. And yeah, just just don't want to stop, really. Were there any
1: really difficult moments yesterday when you thought you might not make it?
9: Uh, Actually, just the short climb at the start when we we all had to go really hard because the break hadn't gone. So that's what I'm suffering with going really hard. But as soon as I can drop back and sit with the quick step basically at the back and uh, get through. And after that, absolute
1: well, it was carnage yesterday, really? The first hour again, or first hour and a half? Do you think today might be a little bit, little bit gentler, just because the the general classification has
9: settled a bit more with Roglic, you know, stamping his authority over the race? Yeah, possibly. Um, I I thought stage 19 is a really good day for the breakaway, and so everyone's going to think that. So hopefully. You know, I know on our bus, everyone's thinking, well, I'm going to wait for tomorrow. So I assume lots and lots of riders in the bunch are going to do the same. So if I was healthy, I'd definitely be trying as hard as I can to get in the break today. Can colds heal
1: in the course of like a last week of a grand tour? Do you know? I mean, is is that still a a glimmer
9: of hope or not really? No, definitely not. Not for me. Um, If it was a bit earlier, but it's it's got me because I'm so tired and just... uh, Yeah, there's there's zero chance I'll be winning the stage now.
3: Well, that was Matt Holmes, sadly, out of the race now, and his team uh, is facing uh, going home empty-handed as well, unless they can pull something out of the bag tomorrow. But they'll be one of many teams, I think, trying to feature tomorrow and on Saturday as well. Um, just before we move on to our meal from last night the final batch of the final grand tour of the year of the cycling podcast of Welta mugs cappuccino sets and gelato bowls are almost ready and they will go on sale on Saturday at 10am US East Coast time these are the beautiful uh, ceramic objects made by Stacey Snyder proceeds to benefit Phoenix bikes and they sold out very quickly the last time they no doubt will do so again this time so uh, 10 a.m. U.S. East Coast time, go to etsy.com Snyder Ceramics, that's S-N-Y-D-E-R Ceramics, uh, and you'll um, be able to
1: try and get one of those. Rich, while we're in a promotional mood, um, tomorrow we've got a Kilometre Zero coming out on uh, Bora Hands Growers, Plan B Brothers... Um, I don't know. I don't think that'll be the title I think I can come up with something better than that but Bora Hansgrohe have these two riders at the Vuelta Espana who a year ago were world class performers in completely different sports, mountain biking in the case of Bent Vyhoff and Schemo, ski mountaineering in the case of Anton Pauza. and I'm glad to say they both made it to the finish today because That's I fortunate saw for your the, Kilometer Zero Yeah, The Kilometer Zero is coming out in the next few hours Brilliant,
3: looking forward to listening to that um, we we had the dinner in Happy Street in Oviedo last night, as it's known, and it was uh, lively.
1: Not the, f- not the first time we've, we've visited Oviedo on the Valtese. We talked about the Woody Allen statue, the Samuel Sanchez statue, um, which we didn't <laughs> yeah the few see. candidates <laughs> we were looking for, the for Um But we talked. We've talked. I think we talked last night about the gastronomic delights, specialities of. Of Oviedo, one being Fabada, which we've had a, twice now in the last few hours because we had it once last night. It's this bean stew, mm, very similar to cassoulet. Bean stew, we had it in the press room. We had it last night as well. And the other one is Cachopo, which I said earlier in the Vuelta, maybe actually in our wine podcast, that it seems to be a bit of a, a badge of honor for restaurants in Asturias, how big they can make their Cachopo.
3: Well, last night was yeah, absolutely this big, humongous. This
1: big slab of veal wrapped in ham, cheese, and breadcrumbs, and then fried. And it's kind of like, do you know what it reminds me of? Do you used to read um, Dennis the Menace? Yeah. Uh, did, was it Dennis the Menace's dad who used to hit him with a slipper? Oh goodness! Ooh, um, but it reminds me of one of those old slippers. There's a particular type of slipper that I think Dennis the Menace used to get whacked right, with.
3: Yeah. Um, but I think then, you're not giving me
1: some desperate, Dan. And his, maybe what did he? No, Cal e- pie, pie, cow cow pie, pie, didn't he? No, no. I can imagine. I can imagine slapping a disobedient. I'm going to get. I'll get in trouble for this one. <laughs> slapping a slightly disobedient child with his <laughs> cut c- chopper. We Give had last some damage. Night. Yeah.
3: I mean, it, it's a huge, huge thing. We couldn't actually finish it. The waiter was not impressed, was he? There were four of us. He wasn't happy, was he? No. He was, he, in between serving me some cider from you way up high. You had a go out high, serving yourself, didn't you? I had a at serving myself, spilled a lot of it on the street, which is probably a good thing. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was, uh, I think we'll go somewhere a bit nicer for dinner tonight, maybe. Mexican I mean, tonight. T- yeah, last night was uh, sort of the, the main, the main, uh, the main party street, it felt like, in Oviedo. We have been there a few times before. Um, what can we expect from tomorrow's stage, Daniel?
1: Well, I think breakaway, Rich. Absolutely nailed on to to be a breakaway. And it occurred to me, well, I thought to myself this morning that if Alessandro De Marchi was riding, he would win tomorrow's stage, but he's not riding. Yeah, he's not. He's not though. So, so I'll have to come up with someone else.
3: I mean, if Thomas De Gendt was riding, then he might well be in that in that breakaway, but. Um, Michael Stoder, will he have anything left no, after today? I don't today? think so. I don't Magnus so. Court, he's been quiet for a few days.
1: <laughs> yeah, Hasn't yeah. He? yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, right, well we look forward to that. And uh, we'll reconvene tomorrow night. Thank you very much, Daniel. Thank you,
9: Richard.